Actually, my favorite book. Yes. yes, it is, and she's read it many times. And she was dying to be on this podcast and discuss it with all of you. She is horrified that I described her as that. She is very, very anxious about being on the pod. So everyone has to be nice to her. Yes, please be nice to me. So I'm going to tell you a bit about the Night Circus author, and then Orly's. I'm going to hand it over to Orly to tell me about the book, which I read once many many years ago and all I remember about it is that the circus is black white and red for passion and there are twins that's it also there's a magic umbrella great I'm gonna unpack this (laughs) can't wait (laughs) the umbrella seemed very important to me because when I read it it was raining that's all I remember from the book it is not um but this is the first novel from Aaron Morgenstern and it was written as part of a NaNoWriMo um, the original draft contains none of the characters Celia. Yeah, she is important. Um, but she wrote it over three NaNoWriMo's, and NaNoWriMo being at National Write-A-Book Month. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. First year, she just wrote, like, some random stuff and then sent her characters to the circus because she got sick of them. And then in the second and third year, she was like, okay, but what if I actually did something with this circus? Wait, so she, she like, wrote a character and then sent them to the circus? Like, okay, the reason we're not dealing with this character anymore is that they're all at the circus? It's, like, it's like the grave that she sent them to? I think that she was writing a couple of characters and whatever plot line she was trying to do with them wasn't working. So she was like, they're all going to the circus. I'm going to write a circus. Circus scene, and then she was like, "Oh, the circus is actually way more interesting than what my characters were supposed to be doing. What if I just wrote about the circus?" Put a pin in that because that actually explains a great deal of stuff about the book to me. Okay, put a sock on it. Oh my god. Hey, Orly. Hey, Kira. This book came out in two thousand and eleven. Okay. Um, it's now two thousand and nineteen. Yes. Her sec- This was her first book. This is Erin Morgenstern's first book. And her next book is coming out this month. Um, on the 4th of November. So it actually came out three days ago. At it's... the time of when you're listening to this episode. Oh, true. Also, I already have the new book uh, pre-ordered, I believe, on Amazon. I'm sorry for using Amazon. It's okay. Sometimes needs must. I pre-ordered and it. And you're like going a- on a plane and like two days so like you need it delivered right now yeah get that book to me very cool um i don't have much else to say about the author she li- she is from america oh she did a fun project where um a friend of hers is a photographer and he was taking a pic- he would take pictures and then she would write a 10 sentence story about them i have actually you can find that on her website it's yeah. a fun it's a fun days like an afternoon to there's 461 with. of them. Interesting. Yeah. It's a huge number. It is a huge number. She did it for five years. That's, yeah, wow. Yep. I mean, that's a very, like, for people who 
like writing, but it's daunting. Like, that's a very good exercise to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, just maintaining, like, practice and working, like, experimenting within the space. Tell me about the book. So, this book, which is my favorite book, I probably read it for the first time in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh, I can only describe it really as magical, which is not to say that it is, which is not just to sort of remark upon the fact that it is sort of about magic, but it is just, it's a, it's a book that's heavy on atmosphere, Mm -hmm. which taking to what I put a pin in that, um, if what she became frustrated with was her characters and decide and became enamored of focusing more on the circus as a setting it actually very much explains the book in that it's very very setting dependent and it she works a lot with imagery and like all sensory sort of like taste smell feel and look of like the settings that she creates whereas if you were going to be critical of this book, the characters aren't really what drives it. It's much more like... The circus itself the and the s- atmosphere around it. Yeah, and it's a very... If you want... And it's actually perfect that this will be coming out in November because I think it's a very autumnal book. Mm-hmm. A lot of... Like, it jumps around in time a lot, but um, a lot of the time it is sort of in an autumn time period but also just the the mood that she creates with all of her imagery is very autumnal so it's a very Mm. good book to read in that time yeah so when she was writing it uh NaNoWriMo National Writing Month is November so she would have been also like writing it in November kind of that time of autumn coming into winter Mm. that makes a lot of sense um like I love it because it creates an atmosphere and that's a big thing for why I enjoy a lot of the media that I enjoy um but it also has a plot interestingly enough and um it focuses on a game or a challenge that has been issued by two for lack of a better term magicians of different schools of thought and they apparently have had this challenge against each other multiple times and the rules and the set like the mechanism for this challenge are left almost entirely to not knowing um until the end in which case it's still not entirely explained but that kind of just contributes to the whimsy of it the whimsy and like the so these two magicians aren't the main characters. They're the ones who set it in motion and they consistently come back, sometimes as antagonistic and sometimes just kind of as there or a little bit frustrating. But the main characters, um, they don't really understand what's going on in terms... Like the one, These are the two people who are being used as the pawns for this challenge. Yeah. And that's Celia and Marco. And they are the two... And you see them through up through 
their like childhood up into their young adults middle adult years which is kind of why it functions as, as a, a young, young adult, adult. Yeah. but also there's another character who i'll talk about later who is very much like he's a teen um he's lovely his name is bailey but um that they don't really understand this challenge that they're a part of and so the fact that it's never fully explained kind of makes sense and it makes you empathize with them more mm -hmm. you're not omniscient as the reader um so they have been so they're pawns in these other magicians game so yes and they themselves are also magicians so the two magicians yes say that they're going to have this challenge against each other they're like we haven't had a challenge in so many years let's challenge each other and it comes about because one of them who goes by the name prospero he finds out that he has a daughter from a woman that he Doesn't. romanced and then abandoned many years ago and then she commits suicide and sends him his daughter because his because she's like how dare you you left me I'm sad and this is your fault. Also, here's your child. She has demon powers. You take her. Cool, cool, cool. So then he's like, oh, this child has potential. I don't care about her as an individual or as the fact that she's my child. She is purely a projection of how good I am. And so anything she's capable of is just... A reflection of a my reflection. own abilities. Yeah, he's essentially cool. like... The utmost, like, athlete parent. Love a terrible dad. Love a terrible dad. Yeah, no, he's bad. Um, So he's like, she has potential. She's real good at this. All because of me and my teaching and my, like, innate ability that I've gifted her. So now is a good time to have another challenge because I've got a good competitor. So he contacts this guy who we, it, his name, none of the characters can remember his name. Oh, that's a cool power. So he's introduced to her when she's about six years old as Alexander. Mm -hmm. And um, then they, the two, the two grownups have a talk about this challenge in front of her and she doesn't understand it. We don't understand it. And um, then she's bound, like Alexander puts a ring on her finger that then like melts into her flesh and causes a scar. And he's like, okay, now you're bound to this challenge. Um, cool. Which is super abusive from a parental standpoint. And is also just like, that's a straight up child and you are bounding her whole future? Yes. Yeah. To the yeah, whims yeah. of oh, your it gets, fun competition. It gets worse. Amazing. But um, so then when he leaves, she's like, why did you call that man Alexander? And he's like, well, because, you know, why wouldn't I? And she's like, well, it's not his name. He wears it like some people he wears it and i can see that he could discard it like you would wear or discard a cloak and her dad is like oh that's very clever i have produced such a clever child but doesn't really answer her question and then for the rest of the book he's only ever referred to as alexander or mr a i couldn't remember his name like that's how yeah. the characters refer to him he doesn't have a name um and so what he does is as soon as this challenge has been, he's like, I'll go find my own competitor. And so he goes to an orphanage in London and picks a boy. Like, the, he finds three kids and he, like, interviews them, I guess. And he picks one of them for his own qualifications that are never really explained. To be his pawn. 
to be his pawn and so he adopts this boy and sets him up in an apartment with books and tutors and what have you and he goes about teaching this boy his craft which is magic for lack of a better term yeah um and so at the same time like celia back with her father he's like teaching her in a much more practical manner he's Mm -hmm. teaching her like focus and concentration and levitating things with her mind etc not it the mechanisms of the magic are never explained which you know is a an authorial choice you can either very consciously explain your how your magic works or you can be like it just happens happens. that is my preferred means of I don't of magic to be honest. I don't mind as long as you pick one and stick with it and that if you pick the one where you explain the mechanism that the mechanism actually functions. Yes. Um that makes sense. I I just kind of like yeah. I like when something happens when I like when there's a choice not to explain why something has happened. You're just like particularly in a world where everyone is like magic happens. I'm totally cool with the people who use magic being like, I just know how it works. I I just know how I work it. I don't know how it fundamentally works. Well, and kind of what the book deals with is like, it's two people, two children and then young adults who are being Mm -hmm. taught and then practicing similar things in completely opposite ways that like he... Marco does a lot of book learning. He does a lot of inscribing things. And they can do some of the similar things, or at least they can do similarly magical things. But I think what she's trying to work with is, like, anything seems magic if you don't know how to do it. Oh, And so, like, like, you know, you're manipulating things in the world, but, like, that is that follows some sort of set of rules mm-hmm. just like we know that internal combustion and electricity follow some set of rules but if you brought them to a time period before they existed in a wide scale that yeah. it'd be like i have no idea how you're doing that and you might not know how you're yeah. doing that you're just I, doing it i can work the internet really well yeah i cannot remake the internet yeah because i have no idea how it actually functions and this is as if you're the only one who has the internet and people are like oh my god you just seem to know things (laughs) jeepers but so um that's how they they grow up like this he's growing up in a very like he grows up very lonely surrounded by books he has a mentor who doesn't pay that much like good attention to him but does come and teach him and takes him places to like sit in museums and he's like i'm not really sure why i'm sitting in this museum but i must be learning something must be learning something whereas celia and this is actually one of my favorite parts of this book um i read it to my brother once and i was like he's gonna think that this is like a girly fantasy book and then it takes a turn for the dark when there's a passage talking about how when Prospero is teaching Celia that it's very practical and super dark that he like teaches her about fixing things okay and so he cuts open every single one of her fingertips and like makes makes her her heal them and then he gives her a moment and then he does it again and that like that's how he's teaching her and that at some point he like she like brings in a bird with a broken wing mm-hmm. and she's like um like 
can you can, fix can it? we please fix this like this is making me very sad that this bird is in a lot of pain and he's like well you go ahead you try and she tries it and it's difficult and he's like well um living things have different rules you'll have to learn that you, like it's not the same as fixing a broken teacup which you can do yeah and so like she can't do it and he just wrings the bird's neck and she's like well, you knew how to fix it and he's like yeah but then you wouldn't have learned anything Oh, she um, hasn't actually learned anything in this moment either. She learned as much as she could learn. He could have yeah. done the rest of it. Yeah. But that's oh. sort of the general energy that he gives off. Um, he's very abusive. Yeah. In a very dark, weird stage parent sort of way. Yeah, but people who see other people as extensions of themselves yeah. generally do not make excellent good no. caregivers no they're not um so that's sort of the childhood that she has it's very sad um both of these kids are learning their skills and then one of the conditions for this challenge is that there has to be some sort of setting for it okay. it's at some point it gets likened to a chess game so you need a board somewhere and the board that they pick is um, Prospero gives Alexander like a card for some guy who does shows in London mm-hmm. and um, he's like this guy could definitely give us some sort of cool board, some sort of cool playground go ahead find him and it turns out it's this guy who produces and puts on shows in London shows of many different kinds and that what he wants is to create an atmosphere he wants mm-hmm. to create a magical experience for people that's his whole goal and his name is Chandraj. he's great he's a queer character who wears purple waistcoats yeah yeah that's how you know someone is queer he also purple hits waistcoats. on people at some point it's yeah. important <laughs> um uh but um so this guy comes up with the idea of a magic circus some sort of like a circus not magic but like that is an overwhelmingly magical type experience okay akin to what you'd think of when if like someone was like you know what i'd really like to create cirque du soleil but it's fully interactive okay i'm like i want you to feel a part of like a a different world when you walk into it sort of thing he wants he wants to push boundaries with his art what are some of the acts So, first, he's, like, this is, he, like, gathers, Chandrash gathers, like, a group of people together to, like, create this, Mm -hmm. and he has, like, an old, a retired prima ballerina, these two women who are essentially consultants, but they do, like, any number of odd jobs, they're just, like, there to create, like, like, they do the detail work. Okay. And then he gets, um... Alexander, because Alexander is there sort of just waiting in the wings, manipulating this board, and he gets an architect named Ethan, and that's like, this is how I'm going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And at this time, um, Alexander has also managed to get Marco, who's in his late teens at this point, to be Chandrash's assistant, so he's also manipulating the board. Ah, okay. So, um, then, so they start planning, they start planning this thing, they're like, we have no idea what we're doing yet, but we have this big idea for this amazing project, and then all of a sudden, they're, like, having these 
midnight dinners to plan the the circus, which is a big thing. And then um, one night, out of nowhere, um, a woman arrives at the doorstep and is like, hi, I'm here. And they're like, okay. And she's like, I have, I'm ready. And they're like, what are you talking about? And she, she just like, they have their dinner and she's like, I'm ready to perform. And they're like, okay, we have no idea what you're performing, but like, we're going to eat dinner and this is fun and mysterious. We like mystery. And then she, she's a contortionist. So she does her contortion and it's like riveting and mind boggling and, you know, magical in its way and they're like this this is exactly what we want we have one now we have a contortionist that's all we have but we've got it like this is this, this is, is the idea that we're going yes. for and she showed up out of nowhere this is exactly what we've been looking for and so they have a contortionist and then they start doing they start looking for all their other acts so they have like a big cats act they have trapeze artists mm-hmm. they have all this other stuff and then they start having um illusionists auditions okay because you need a tent for an illusionist you need some like a magician but they Mm -hmm. call it an illusionist and all these people they they, when they say they're looking for a magician they're looking for like sleight of hands yes yes okay yes um so they audition these people and it's all these men they come in they do their thing and then there's one woman and it's celia and she comes in and she does her thing yeah and and it seems so much more magical than everyone else because it might be actual magic. And she's, her father was also a stage magician who was doing real magic, making it look like he was using sleight of, sleight hand, of hand techniques. But just that, like, a little bit better than everybody else because it's like, oh, I have no idea how he does that stuff. But, like, we don't want to question it too far because yeah. the idea that it's real magic would blow our minds. Um, so she's doing the same thing. She does very impressive things and they're like, yes, 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 we'll take her. She's perfect. And Marco kind of freaks out because he's figured out that that she's his competitor. competitor. She doesn't know yet who he is, but he's figured out because, you know, she has to be a part of this. That's how she's a part of this game. Yeah. That's how she's maneuvered her way in. But like, she has to show her cards and he doesn't. So he knows who she is. She doesn't know who he is. Also, she's pretty. So he's like, oh my god, beautiful. And my competitor after all these years. I've been subjected to such loneliness. And now my competitor is a beautiful woman. Well, and like he was also bound with the whole like ring on the finger. And so like, you know, he lies awake at nights being like, what is all of this? Like, oh, all I have, you know, all I have in the world is this unknown person that I'm bound to. Oh my God, the person that I'm bound to is a beautiful, mysterious woman. Oh my God, I'm 19 years old. Yeah. He sounds like a romantic. They're all romantics. <laughs> Literally nobody in this, except for Bailey's sister, Caroline, who we'll talk about later because she's a bitch, is romantic. She's okay. just boring, but like, she's there to be boring. Um, That's her point as a character. But, um, so they do this. They have this circus. It goes beautifully. Like, they have opening night. Marco does some sneaky, sneaky magic magic and somehow, like, binds himself to the circus because he won't be able to travel with it, but he knows that he has to, like... Stay in connection. Stay in connection with it. So he does something to bind it, and Celia's there. She gets to stay with it, but he binds it, and... She almost faints when he does that because it does something. And um, she said it f- 
felt like someone had trapped them under like a like a glass dome. Okay. And at the so on opening night, it's opened on Halloween, nice of and course. witchy and autumnal, atmospheric. Atmospheric. And as that happens, one of the circus performers, not an important one necessarily, but one of them is pregnant and is and gives birth to twins on either side of midnight because duh cool fun yeah um so she gives birth to twins named pop they have real names but they're called poppet and widget and bright red hair they're born into this entirely black and white circus twins opening night bright red hair Ooh, exciting um so the circus goes well for a few years oh my god about one of the characters i forgot about an important character that's okay she can be dealt with very quickly while he's still in london marco meets a mysterious ish girl named isabel and he's like i'm lonely she's kind of interesting she reads tarot cards and she actually does read them very well and so he kind of like has a relationship with her and shows her that he can do these magical things. And she's like, oh my gosh, how cool. And he's just excited to be able to share with someone his own age, who's also a girl. And um, so she then joins the circus as the tarot card reader, mm-hmm. as like the fortune teller. Yeah. And so she's there also for him, sort of sort of as a spy, but also just because they needed one. Um, and she'll be more important later. Uh, but she's also much more in love with him than he is with her. Because he's in love with Celia. He doesn't know it yet, but yes. They've never interacted, but yes. Yeah. I mean, it's that thing where if you set someone up as a competitor, but also, like, even before meeting her, he has been obsessed with her and the the competition that they're in and the way that they're bound to each other for... 10 odd years well and like like he gets adopted what when she's she's six when the competition competition, he's eight or nine eight or nine and then they start the competition when they're both in their late teens so like 10 years yeah 10 years of your competitor your competitor also um 10 years of nobody else can do these things that you can do and then you find someone who can and it's like ooh, cool trick Love it. Let's now. I'm fascinated with you. Yeah, but does it in a completely different way. Yeah. Also, um. So like he was raised to be obsessed with her. Yeah. So he's n- understandably obsessed with yeah. her. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that happens. The circus starts going. It goes real well. It's beautiful and magical and interesting and great. And there are a lot of fun like imagery of things in the circus. And as it goes. At some point, it lands somewhere in Massachusetts. I think it's in Concord, near Concord. And that's when we meet Bailey, who gets to be sort of like all our, the readers, sort of like um, entryway into their world. Yeah, that he's a man of the people, for lack of a better word. That, he, you know, he's he lives on a fa- he lives on an orchard. It's a farm. There's an orchard. Like, that's his thing. He's very normal. Um, he has a sister who's quite mean, but, like, who doesn't? That's his life. And then he visits the circus when he's probably eight. And it changes his life. Nothing is swept in the magic of it. He gets swept up in the magic of it. He goes home and writes down everything he can remember about it, trying to capture the feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, so that... Because he's been... He has to leave. 
And it's like, I don't want to leave this beautiful space that I finally feel like this at is home at home in. Um, I have to write it all down so that I can have some part of it. I'll, I don't want to lose this. And then his sister, at one point, they're playing truth or dare, and he picks dare, and his sister dares him to go into the night circus during the daytime. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, okay, because I don't, because she'll be mean to me if I don't do this dare, and I'm kind of interested anyway. So he goes and he slips through the bars because he's small, because he's young, and he goes in and he gets kind of lost and he's looking for something to use as evidence to show that, like, he, he did that. That he did this. And he's, he's reluctant to steal something important because mm-hmm. he's, you know, a good boy. And then he meets, it's Widget. It's Poppet. It's Poppet. It's the girl twin. And um, she's like, Bailey, what are you doing here? And he's like, what? He doesn't, he's just freaked out that he's been, like, caught doing something that he shouldn't. So he doesn't really clock that. Um, and he tells her about it. And she's like, Okay, and so she gives him a, a one of her little like long white gloves because I have spares. Because <laughs> I have spares, and because she's interesting, and she she like t- she talks to him a little bit, and then she leads him back out, and then he he's like, whoa, she knew my name, oh my god, and then he doesn't tell his sister because this is just for him, and that sort of stays with him, and then we come back to him at some point, and he's going through like a. His grandmother wants him to go to Harvard. His father wants him to work on the farm. He doesn't know what he wants, but he wants adventure. He wants... He says at some point, why is it in stories it's only the girls who get rescued? Why can't someone come rescue me from this boring life? Okay. Um, Um, Because in the stories, you are supposed to just leave. You are supposed (laughs) to just leave. But also he's like, you know, he reads stories about princesses being saved or like, you know beautiful peasant girls being saved by handsome marauding knights and he's like why can't i get saved come on kids because he has no means but yeah anyway so at some point he goes back to the circus it comes back around it's a traveling circus and um he's like oh my god is it gonna be what i remembered and it is it's better even and he you know turns a corner and there's poppet does she remember him uh she's performing at the time and so he's Mm -hmm. like oh my god he kind of goes in looking for her also he's like girl with the beautiful red hair where is she um and then he becomes friends with poppet and widget and it turns out that poppet and widget kind of have powers of their own Mm -hmm. probably because they were born like during a spell during a spell in a magic circus blah 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 um they have fun things so uh Poppet reads things in the stars and Widget reads things on people is how they talk about it. That like Poppet kind of tells the future looking at the stars and Widget like it his whole thing is that knowing like knowing too much about you. Knowing too much about you and the way that he describes it is like if you put picked up if you ate a powdered donut, mm-hmm. you know, some of the donut stuff is still left on your hands and you can try to get some of it off, but like it's still there and that he can see your sort of like your dust. your dust. He can see that on you, and that it's not polite to like really just stare at people and read it. But he, you know, he can do that. That's his thing, and so he tells very good stories. So that happens. That's going on. Celia and Marco, meanwhile, are the way that the mechanism that the 
challenge seems to take is that they're and they're at some point they're very confused they're like how do you compete like this like what is this competition what am i supposed to do what am i supposed to do how do i win what are the rules what are the goddamn rules even some guidelines some guidelines would be great but so the way that they start doing it is that they sort of have competing tents within the circus proper so that celia has her own tent where she's the illusionist and Marco is away, but he starts having tents built because he's sort of part of the plans anyway back in London. And so they start competing in terms of like making tents that are very magical. And they contribute very much to this sort of atmosphere, which makes a lot of sense that if she got if she gets tired of if Aaron Morgenstern got tired of like writing specific scenes that what this does within the story is imagine that there was a tent where it was a garden but everything was made of ice sort of thing is that in it yeah that i think that's one that marco makes um that he like he creates a tent that's a garden made of ice okay and that it's made using this magic and that it it, you know it necessitates a great deal of skill and a great deal of strength to make this and keep it going and so then Celia makes a tent um, of something else. At one point, um, she makes a tree that's covered in candles. And if you light a candle and make a wish on it and add it to the tree, possibly your wish will come true is sort of the idea. Um, and so they do this. They start making these beautiful tents in this space. And that's sort of their challenge and both of them are like yeah we're doing this but like who determines which tent is better who determines who's won when has this when when does it end when does Does it it end end when one of us can't make another tent and when can one of like what do you want what is this end goal and so they're just doing this and it starts becoming less it's not really ever antagonistic but it starts becoming like I wonder what sort of tent she might like. I might make it for her. Oh. Based on what she's made, what do you think she'd like? I'll make that for her. What if I romanced the other person through the tent that's supposed to be a competition, but I just really want to actually impress them? And not even just impress, but like, that if what you're doing is... Please them. To please them, because that's sort of the whole of your existence, is creating these spaces more more and more fantastical using these powers that you never really get to tap into and so you're making these tents for each other like oh can you do this mm-hmm. but also it's like a can you do this i want i would love to see what you can do and it's um at some point you know they they meet up every once in a while and they don't he, she still doesn't know who he is and then one night they're in Prague and it's raining so the circus is closed and Celia goes into town to just like be away from the circus for a night and she runs into Isabel who's having tea waiting for someone and they talk um they chat uh Isabel reads Celia's tarot for her 
it's you know suitably mystic because she's a magician who's part of a crazy competition what sort of tarot cards could be read for her um and then as she's leaving celia grabs an umbrella and here's your umbrella she grabs an umbrella she goes outside and then she realizes that like she's not getting wet at all and that the rain is sort of like bouncing off an invisible barrier barrier coming from this umbrella. umbrella And she's like, oh, this is not my umbrella, because no, duh. Um, and she turns around, and she, and then she hears a voice that's like, uh, Miss, I, Miss Celia, I believe you have my umbrella. And it's Marco, and he's just like, I'm kind of tired of like this being, game. I'm kind of tired of being secret in this game. It's me. And she, she's like, oh my god, of course it's you, duh. Um, I, I didn't put it together, but all the clues are there. All the clues are there, sort of thing. Um. And so now they know each other and they flirt. And then um, she disappears. Like, she's, he's like, would you like a drink? And she's like, bye! Um, I gotta go. <laughs> gotta I was go. not raised to understand how to talk to a person. But also just, like, like... She doesn't want to get too close. They're not really sure what the bounds of this are. So he's yeah. like, I'm fascinated by you. Would you like a drink? And she's like, I'm fascinated by you. But, like, I don't know what's going on. Also... All of this is still happening. They're like in their twenties. They're yeah. all they're still young, even though they've been through. Even though she's particularly had a very rough life, and he's very sheltered for the most part. But um, so that happens. But also, like he's had loads of time to get used to the idea that Cel- like he's known as Celia oh, yeah. for like four or five years, and, and she's, she's like, just what? found out. So it makes yeah. sense to me. She wants that- to go back and process. Yeah, yeah. This all happens. This goes on for a while. If it was a film, this would be the montage. There is going to be a film. No. So there has been rumors of a film for, for a while. A while, but it got a director recently. So it is more and more possible. Lion Gate? I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. Listeners, you can't see, but my face is turning itself inside out because I don't like sharing. So anyway, um that's happening and then one of the sisters, who's one of the original circus people, um, the one, the detail people, mm-hmm. she starts to feel that something is wrong, and it's kind of brought up. Chandras is kind of losing his mind a little bit. He's forgetting things. He doesn't know what, like, year it is very much anymore. Okay. And sh- this sister kind of notices that none of them seem to age anymore. Other than the twins? Nobody in the circus seems to age, and none of the original circus, like, creators, the the ones who were at the dinners, nobody seems to age, and the only people who really seem to age are the twins. Okay. And nobody else has given birth since, and no one's died. So, like... Is this in part because of that dome that Marcus did? We don't know. Okay. But she starts to notice this, and everyone else kind of goes about their own thing, like, yeah, 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 we're, you know, this is our thing, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, isn't it weird that this is a thing? And other people kind of notice it in bits, like, a lot of the architect, Ethan, he moves a lot because Mm -hmm. he's like, you know, people start to get a little bit weird about... You not aging. You not aging. And so, like, I haven't really ever been conscious about this, but the amount of times that people are like, you don't seem to be... You don't seem any older than the last time I saw you. That like that starts to make him uncomfortable, so he starts mm-hmm. moving a lot, and that everyone else does this as well. Everyone tied to the circus, but not directly in the circus, 
but one of the sisters notices it to an extent that makes her uncomfortable and she goes to see Ethan about it and she's like we didn't know what we were getting into I think there's more to this than we think I want to know what's going on because it's my life and it's being messed with Mm -hmm. and he gives her a card this is one of those instances of she's like looking at the card and she's like it says mr a and then the rest of it smudged out yeah so but the address that she goes to and she goes and she's like looking for him and she she's like i can't really see the name on here but she tries multiple versions of it it's at a hotel and she asks the front desk and they're like no one of that name is staying here no one of that name is staying here Mm -hmm. and she finally just gives up and then he like comes up to he finds her He's like, uh, what is it that you wanted? And she starts to try to explain what she feels about things being wrong and, like, off. And he kind of, like, mind manipulates her. And he's like, what? Didn't you have a train to catch? Like, isn't it? Don't you think that you've been working very hard and you should go on, like, a like a holiday? And she's like, oh, yeah, that is what I've been thinking. And then she starts to leave. And she's like, wait, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. So she turns back to, like, go after him. And she sees him talking with prospero but prospero has at this point he's done something weird where he's essentially invisible now but did a trick go wrong a trick went very wrong and it went wrong and it's explained later man i'm jumping all over the place but the book is non-linear the book is non-linear but so it's explained that he kind of he starts to feel that he's aging Mm-hmm. Even though whatever it is that they do means that they don't like age that. as quickly. So he starts to feel his age. And what he wants to do is, the way that it's described is that if you have a glass of wine and a glass of water, and if you took the wine and put it into the water, mm-hmm. the wine still exists, it's just diluted. Yeah. And then imagine if you took away the glass okay. from the water with the wine in it that the wine still exists it's just like it can be diluted across as much water as there is and Mm -hmm. so the body is like the glass and so that what he tries to what prospero has tried to do is remove his own glass because it's the glass that's like breaking and aging and so that he's tried to like oh, I can exist without this glass because I'll still be me. I'll just be diluted across a wider stretch. And that it kind of goes wrong because yeah. it's too diluted. And so he, he like, he can sort of haunt Celia and he can haunt their house, but he's he's kind of invisible and he is less... Because of it? Less, Yeah. Um, and so she, at some point, Celia and Marco have a discussion about this, which is plot important that they're like, well, do you think that's actually possible? And she's like, yeah, I think it would be. I think you'd have to tie yourself. Like, you don't want to be diluted across an entire ocean. You want to be like, oh, I'm just in this little puddle because that way you're more. You're more. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I'm like, you can't just release yourself from your body yeah. and be like, I am with the world and the wind I'm still now. me, yeah. You need, you need to be tied Somehow, to something. Yeah. Like, if he was like, I just won't age, if he had moved his being into a mannequin, it would yeah. be weird and, like, jaunty in the, yeah. in the movements, but it would... It's if, contained. If he had moved the container. Yes. If I'm saying if he swapped... Containers. Yes. So he was in a glass... 
Yeah. If he was in a glass and he moved from the glass to a plastic container, it would last much better because it wouldn't yeah. break if you knocked it over. Oh, well, and also, like, if you move from, if you remove the glass but stay in a little puddle rather than being like, and now I'm in the river. Yeah. That, like, most of what is there is still there. Um, so they have this talk, which becomes important later. But, um, so the sister who's gone to find out stuff she sees alexander talking to what appears to be a ghost and it's prospero they're talking about the challenge presumably and she's like what is this and she like steps forward to sort of see what's going on and accidentally steps in front of a train and dies and she's the first person who's died as a part of the circus and it's quite horrific and quite tragic and it kind of rocks a lot of them. But then they get on with their thing. And for a while, things are okay. At one point when she's talking to Bailey, Poppet says something like, you know, I know the circus and something feels a little bit wrong. And someone else says something about, I feel like we're goldfish in a bowl, that we're being watched. Mm-hmm. And that because we're in such a small container with such specific bounds... That if one of us floats to the surface, it means that the people who are watching aren't watching close enough. Okay. So that, like, whatever Marco did to the circus, whatever Celia's been doing to the circus, it's affecting people's lives. And that, like, they can't, as much sort of safety precautions as they might try to instill, and there's evidence of that happening. Like, Marco has a book of, you know, protection rooms or something. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, That, like you can't protect everyone and that you maybe can't protect everyone all the time and you can't protect everyone all the time and there might be too many variables or they might not be doing a very good job of it Mm -hmm. who knows um also they've been adding tents like for a while for a long time so it's also getting bigger and bigger and bigger so what you have to protect at the start is not what you have to protect more more later yeah and so Things start going a little bit wrong, but in a way that you can't really tell. And at this point, Celia and Marco have kind of, like, it's been getting more and more romancy. And then there's, like, a like a dinner, uh, like, a big party to celebrate. I think it's, like, the circus's 13th year of being a thing. Of course they would pick 13. 13. Woo! to celebrate 10 years no when one. you can celebrate ooh, 13 magical 13 yeah so this is before we know bailey so poppet and widget are 13 at this point mm-hmm. because they're as old as the circus and um marco and celia like um uh they they fight no they don't fight they have like a I just want to be with you. And she's like, we can't be. And then Alexander comes in and is like, don't get distracted by women, boy. You got to <laughs> win this challenge. And he's like, I'm not doing this challenge for you. I'm doing this challenge for her. And he's like, that I makes... I don't understand. No, he's he's more, he's like, that, he's like, um, it doesn't matter who you're doing it for, like, as long as you do it. And Marco's like, I love her. And Alexander's like, that actually makes me very, very sad. It will only make it harder on you when you win. Um, do which they is kill the com- super d- creepy. Wait. Do they kill the loser? Wait. Um, come back to that. Oh, um, put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. 
And so he, like, runs off and he kisses her and everyone forgets about it. And then as he's leaving, Widget says something like, there's something wrong with that man, pointing to Alexander. And he says, that man doesn't have a shadow. Okay, so then at some point, um, they sleep together. It's very much written in, like, a romance. This is not what we're saying. And we wake up the next morning. (laughs) And honestly... It's it's more explicit than that, but less explicit than sex. Cool. Um, and, you know, 18-year-old me was all over that shit. <laughs> like, oh my god, it's so beautiful. And both mentors at this point, Prospero and Alexander, are like... Alexander's very sad and is like, mm-hmm. she'll only get in your way. Don't you realize this is probably a ploy? Also, it doesn't matter. Whereas Prospero calls his daughter a whore, and like, don't you realize this is only a ploy? This boy doesn't love you, he's using you to win this challenge that my friend and I have put you through. Both both magicians are just like, the other person is manipulating you, and then both kids are like, what if everyone isn't as manipulative as, as you, you are? Have, yeah. have, you, have you looked in have a mirror lately? <laughs> anyway, um... At some point, Celia is very, very sad about this, and the contortionist from much earlier, who's kind of been a fun mystic presence this whole time, comes in and is having a talk with her and is like, you realize that, like, you're not the first ones that they've done this challenge with. And she's like, what? And it turns out that, um... This is Alexander's former pupil. Like, she was the challenger before. Mm -hmm. So she won. Um, And Celia's kind of like, like, how do we deal with this? Like, you know, I'm I'm in love with him. And they, you know, they don't understand. The contortionist, who's also queer, wink, um, she says something like, you know, they don't understand, they use other people to fight their battles, but they don't understand how much the other person becomes your life Mm -hmm. if all you do is devote your time and your energy and your power to them. Yeah. And so she's like, yeah, no, like, I completely get it. Um, She's like, tell me about your challenger. And the woman is like, you know, I don't remember what her name is, but she's like, this was her name. Um... You know, she smelled of peach blossoms, and she was my whole world. Um, I loved her more than anything. And um, Celia's like, well, you know, she lost. Where is she? And she's like, she's a pillar of fire somewhere in the J- Japanese countryside now. Um, which by is now choice. No, it's like now she's ash that has since gone, oh. but she became a pillar of fire and she's like uh cool what's that about and then this woman who's super into mystic is super into being like mythical mystical is like i can't tell you anything more (laughs) which is great and i love it as an exposition um but uh so that happens and they're like what's going on this is wild and at some point people are just losing it people chandrash is losing it and Marco's, like, messing with his brain so that he doesn't see things. Like, so, because he suspects Marco at some point. And so, um, 
that Marco is doing mind manipulation stuff yeah, on him, like which making is... him making him forget things, which is making him forget other things, which is making him lose himself a lot. And other pe- other things are just the threads are pulling apart at the yeah. seams of this whole enterprise. And then Chandrash, like all of this culminates that it's another Halloween night, mm-hmm. and um. Maybe it wasn't opened on Halloween. Doesn't matter. This one's Halloween. I just don't want to be ad mentioned by people who've read this book being like, that's actually not true. And I'm like, I know this book by heart. Stop it. Um, But uh, Chandrash goes to the circus. Marco goes to the circus. Isabel, who has now been told very recently that Marco doesn't want her anymore. He wants Celia. Okay. Has lost it. And she had done some, like, small, tiny little charm to sort of, like, keep things balanced. And she's like, I don't think this charm is fucking doing anything anyway. So I'm going to undo my I'm gonna charm. undo it. Also, you know, very much like a you can go to hell because you led me on for so long. Uh, you, I loved you and you never wanted me in the same way. So she undoes that. Chandrash goes to the circus. Marco goes to the circus. Chandra sees Alexander, who mm-hmm. is there for some reason, talking to Celia, mm-hmm. and Chandra, for once, is like, he's decided that this is the way that will fix things that are going wrong, especially the things that are going wrong in his brain. Everything feels wrong, and he's decided that this is the way to fix it, so he aims for Alexander, and he throws a knife. Okay. And... You know, he's very good at this. It goes straight for him, and then just at the last second, he turns, and it hits another minor character who... Mm-hmm. It, unimportant to this. Unimportant to this, but it hits someone close to Celia. Someone she loves. As a friend. Um, and he dies. Okay. And everything just, like, shudders, and um, Poppet just starts screaming. Because she'd kind of seen something about this, but hadn't, Mm -hmm. like, put the pieces together. But also, everything just feels wrong in that moment, because... um, Everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. And the bonfire, which was sort of what was the dome that was on the circus, Mm -hmm. it goes out. Everything is in chaos. I think someone falls from the trapeze in that moment. Like, all these, like, intricate little gears that have been working perfectly for years, partly due to the work that Marco and Celia have been doing, they start to, to catch. catch. And someone dies. And um, then uh, Poppet arrives on the hillside to bait, to see Bailey. And she's like, Bailey, it's all gone wrong. We need you. Um, like, well, I think she's not even like, she's not like, we need you. She's like, I want you to come with. And, you know, he's in love with her because he's a 16-year-old boy and she's a pretty girl who's interesting and has powers. Duh! And he's like, yeah, okay. And when he goes to see her, like, Mm -hmm. in the morning, he, like, he leaves to, like, go. They're already gone. He gets rescued! Oh, they're already already gone. gone. I was gonna be like, his wish came through, he's been rescued. It's that they, they leave very suddenly, faster than they thought, and Poppet goes to Celia and is like, Celia... We left too soon. I don't know why, but Bailey has to come with us. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen it in the stars. Bailey yeah. has to come with us. I don't know why, but he's important. And Celia's like, I don't know, I guess, like, whatever. 
Um, and then this whole thing with the things going wrong happens, and um, Bailey, who has since run away from home, mm-hmm. gets and gets a train and is like. He finds other people who are also obsessed with this circus and essentially travel around, like, seeking this magic because it's the only place that they feel at home, Mm -hmm. which is actually very sad once you read this book because it's like, that's how I feel now. Shit. (laughs) Um, But, so he, like, he finds out that the circus is closed and that something has gone wrong and he, like, takes off running. He runs there. He gets in and um there's a whole my god the whole the the climax is so hard to understand that it took me so many readings to figure it out that i don't entirely get it but working retroactively essentially what happens at some point is celia invited alexander to come to the circus to judge she's like i just want him to judge Judge who wins like i just want this to be over so that i can like Move on. Move on. We can be together. People can stop getting hurt. I just want this over. I don't care if I lose. I don't care. I just want him to figure out who wins so that I can be done with this. And that's when the murder happens. Yeah. And things go to shit. And then uh, the contortionist is essentially like, they have a talk about what this whole thing entails. And that actually sort of the gist of the competition is not that they kill the loser it's that whoever is left standing at the end is the winner by default and that it's ah, like it's you like will a, kill your you will you, you will, will use up your whole being in this and therefore your yeah. magic will eventually corrupt and kill you or just or like you just be too exhausted you're to too exhausted going. and like holding all these threads together at some point one of you will break mm-hmm. and then like that the circus in particular as a setting means so many other variables so that like as soon as you start trying to incorporate other people protect them um deal with people seeing your magic for real and having to like mess with their minds and the sort of the human element of like losing people yeah that at some point one of you is going to break and it's going to then determine which of these schools of teaching is the better better because they're evil um and and the contortionist is like yeah it's the worst and the only way to like ensure that like if you love him the only way to ensure his safety is to lose and you know what that entails and so essentially but also you probably should fix this circus because people it's important to people yeah um whatever and so celia is like all set to essentially commit suicide for the sake of marco and like i think she's ready to like find use herself use herself and her death as the binding to like fix the circus and he freaks out and runs after her and like it goes wrong. Her mm-hmm. attempt goes wrong. Um and at this is the point at which Bailey walks into it and everything is frozen and the only person who's not frozen is the contortionist and she's like, "Hi, I'm here to walk you through this mystical wonderland." And he's like, "Okay." Um private guide, let's private, do it. Private guide and she's like, "Um it went wrong." So now um 
it's back harp, harping back to the glass and the wine metaphor that like what's happened is that they're both kind of just like not the problem has not been solved but also the two who could potentially solve the problem are they have had their glasses taken away mm-hmm. so like they're fizzling out into the ocean and you need to collect them and then get them to fix this sort of thing. It's and Bailey has to do that? Using and, his and unique at, humanness. At one point. So the whole thing is that somebody has to somebody has to take this weight onto themselves, the okay. circus. Like so it has to be tied to someone somehow. And at one point he's like, Is like, why me? And she's like, It's not because you're special. It's just that and you're it might, here and, it, and you love the circus. You're here and you love the circus, and I wish it made it because it would probably make it easier. I wish I could tell you that it's something special about you and that this is your destiny. But honestly, you're here and you love the circus, so you are probably the only one willing to. But also, and at this point, so the contortionist is talking to him, and like you know, the Celia and Marco are kind of talking to him. They're like holding themselves together with all their power, like before they can fall apart and they're like you know but but like you know this is important to many people we will die all these a few other people will die probably but like we have to be better than our masters masters and be like you have a choice you are allowed to walk away from this and have a different life but like please and he's like no duh obviously let's go um it's much more kind and, like, amazing than that, but whatever. Um, and so he's like, yeah, duh, tell me what I have to do. So he has to do all this stuff that we don't understand how it works because mm-hmm. we don't understand the mechanisms of this yeah, stuff. Magic. Doesn't matter. He does it. He relights the bonfire. It attaches, the circus attaches itself to him. And what Celia and Marco have essentially done is remove themselves from the game they're no longer in their glasses. The circus is the pool that they inhabit. Okay. And so they can sort of inhabit it as much as they want, but they don't have to be in glasses anymore. And they're together, mm-hmm. but... Do they still have bodies? No. No. Okay. They're just... They are the circus now. Okay. Um, And Alexander comes and is having a conversation with Widget. For some reason, Widget, um, who I love. Uh, Widget is like, uh, all the other original circus people have signed over their circus rights to me and Poppet and Bailey, um, because Bailey's going to be the new circus guy now, and you're the last one we need. Like, this is, all I'm asking for is essentially a used playing field that you don't need anymore, um... Can I have it? it? And Alexander's like, I mean, like, yeah, no one really won. Um, It's kind of like a draw. And he's like, yeah, can I have it? Um, And he's like, yeah, I guess so. But what I want is a story, like, um, as payment, because Widget tells very good stories because he sees things on people. Mm -hmm. And that's like how stories work. You can see history. And so he tells the story of the circus, which is where you get a lot of the imagery. Ah. And it's really good. Um, and um, Widget, like, it ends with, like, this is what the circus is like. You walk into it. Um, 
maybe it's special and if you wanted to say something to someone about it um this is the number that you this is the email address that you write to and it's bailey um and so like this is to show that it's been going on continuously continuously and that bailey's still in charge of it and um that it's like that whatever happened in the wild cavalcade that was the climax has worked and the circus is still the running circus is still running but celia and marco have have gone into gone the in. ether together and at one point um widget is telling poppet a story it's the story of um merlin and the bad guy from king arthur whose witchy name i don't remember but like um something about he becomes trapped in a tree and poppet says something like um, do you think it would be that bad to be trapped for eternity in a tree? And Widget says something like, well, it would depend where you were trapped and who you were trapped with. And so it's kind of like, yeah, Celia and Marco can never really leave the circus, but they're still there. They still sort of like make it magical. They still make tents and it's their playground mm-hmm. and they can have each other and it's not really trapped if it's an infinite playground with the one person who's never hurt you. Yeah, and they have both been hurt. And they've both been hurt quite extensively. And, like, I know, I'm romanticizing this a bit, but, like, it is my favorite book, and it's quite beautiful in the way that it lays lays out the tale, and the imagery is really, really good, and there's a very good line that is actually just one of my favorite lines. Um... Stories have changed, but Alexander asks for a story, and um, this is the response. Stories have changed, my dear boy, the man in the grey suit says, his voice almost imperceptibly sad. There are no more battles between good and evil, no monsters to slay, no maidens in need of rescue. Most maidens are perfectly capable of rescuing themselves in my experience, at least the ones worth something in any case. There are no longer simple tales with quests and beasts and happy endings. The quests lack clarity of goal or path, and there and there's some stuff. And there are never really endings, happy or otherwise. Things keep going on; they overlap and blur. Your story is part of your sister's story, is part of many other stories, and there is no telling where any of them may lead. Good and evil are a great deal more complex than a princess and a dragon, or a wolf and a scarlet-clad little girl. And is not the dragon the hero of his own story? Is not the wolf simply acting as a wolf should act? Though perhaps it is not a singular wolf who goes to such lengths as to dress as a grandmother to toy with its prey so he's kind of like oh and i think this reflects the book that there are no real antagonists there are no bad guys they're like yeah the The two mentors are bad people in many ways they do bad things but like to themselves they are just going about their business and that what they do is very important to them and that Mm -hmm. like it's important that if what you think is the most important thing in the world is these powers, then the ability to know which way of teaching them is better is an important is an important one. Process. And that, like, if you do that for long enough and you see people as not people for long enough, that like it's gonna mess with you. And, and also, so, their lifespan is so much longer yes. than a regular person's lifespan. So th- that <clears throat> in itself always it doesn't matter what like fiction Mm. you are dealing with once you have a lifespan that is so much longer than someone else's 
you become detached from the rest of humanity. Yes. And that, you know, they're old, they're very old, but that even though you have all this life, you start to become very, like, I have all this life, but I have to protect it at all costs, which mm-hmm. is why they're kind of cowardly about, like, being able to fight against each other, and so they use these pawns that it's like, I know my way is better, I know your way is worse, but, like, this life that I've been living for so long and is actually quite boring and, like, colorless at this point is the only thing I have, and so I have to protect it at all costs, so and I if, can't fight you one-on-one. If I, if I fought you directly, I would end up having too many threads to hold, and I would become and the I ether. Would, and I would have to deal with the idea that maybe I'm wrong. And yeah. I'm not comfortable doing that, so I'm much more comfortable just, like, having multiple iterations of this thing and being able to blame... Because even if even if my pawn loses, that was a fault of the pawn yes. and not a fault, fault of, of my teaching and or my the teaching. magic I use. Yes. Ridiculous. Yes. Tell me, what was your favorite tent? What is my favorite tent? There is a tent called the Labyrinth, which is like mm-hmm. room after room after room that you wander through. And one's like a big room of sand one's like a corridor of snow and you can go into little doorways off of it and then there's like a room that's all books like it's like a staircase made of books into mountains made of books and stuff yeah i really like that one i also really like the tent that is um widget's tent actually he creates it much later and nobody really sees it. And it's just a room full of bottles and mm-hmm. like containers and they all have smells. Oh. And the smells are, they like evoke in you. A memory. A memory or not even a memory, but like a feeling that like, oh, yes, this smell. I'm in a caravan in the Sahara and I can just like that what he's created is pockets of setting oh which is kind of what she does a lot of it so it's like uh, that would be the tent that i think she would make but it's Mm -hmm. like oh you open this and you smell the apples and the cinnamon and you the crisp fire and the autumnal night and you know you hear someone telling you a story and you taste the cider on your tongue blah 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 and then it's like you put the you put the stuff back on, and then you're, whoa, I'm back here. And you um, move on to the next one, which is, like, a Christmas Day snow yeah. falling all around you. That is such a nice idea. And it's mm. it's such a, like, a desirable, like, as people, mm. smell is very evocative. It's very m- memory evocative. And, like, you know, you don't like the smell of Christmas things. I don't uh, like cinnamon. And Christmas like- things smell like cinnamon. But, like, I love Christmas time, yeah. and I love those smells, and those smells associate me, They I associate them with that time, and so, mm-hmm. like, it's powerful. It's very, very inspirationally powerful, and so, like, the idea of this tent is very... Yeah. Like, you could travel the world and have adventures in terms of momentary atmosphere just in a tent. And it... I like the idea that Widget, who sees the stories on people and tells stories, makes this tent where he himself has nothing 
to do with like he doesn't have to invoke anything in anyone but still gives these people these little pockets of a story yeah because like yeah it's mostly setting up like an atmosphere but you yourself that will still invite a story to you yes and it if it, it kind of frees him yeah because I, I assume people are asking him for stories all the time not everyone knows that he has these powers he also kind but, of keeps to himself but um, also like at one point like when bailey leaves um when he leaves home he he essentially runs away yeah um choosing the circus as the adventure that he wants and widget gives him a little bottle with a smell in it that's like the tree that Bailey would sit in, like, and that's like he can feel the bark, he can you know feel the sun on his face, and that's like a pocket, a piece of something to take with him. Yeah. And then when he has to put the circus back together, um, and he has to relight the bonfire with any number of like mystical little bits, um, he doesn't know why, but it feels right, and so he throws that bottle with in. with his tree into the bonfire Because it's well. an essence of who he is. And he has to sacrifice it. And That's it's, sad. It's, but also beautiful. It's Yeah, it's very bittersweet. Yeah. Oh, this sounds like a great book. I might have to reread it. Oh no. <laughs> oh dang. Oh dang. I and honestly read it at least once a year. I hope all of the listeners also choose to read it if they haven't already. Barley, I'm going to say goodbye to you now and let you go and I'm gonna tell my very dear kind listeners that they should all follow me Anifa who is not here today on social media tweet us on Twitter and let us know what rooms that you would put in your circus and if you've read the night circus what rooms you liked or just anything about the book really I won't be with you in two weeks time but Aoife will and she'll be doing um Twilight with She'll be doing uh, Twilight with Michelle by Stephanie Meyer. So yeah, our Twitter is foreveryapod. Our Instagram is foreveryapodcast. And we're also available on, on Goodreads where you can find out what books we're going reading in December, which is coming up soon. Ooh. Yeah, talk to y'all soon. Bye.